come this afternoon, I really hope that while you go out of here and I go out of here transformed. And we're different people from when we come in. That would be good, wouldn't it? Um, the struggle's real. Uh, I had a, I've got a friend who would have been here, but she had to be elsewhere, and she sent me some, a flurry of messages in WhatsApp, actually, um, about this subject. And I said, hey, this is really good. Can I, can I read it? <laughs> uh, she said, yeah. So I, I won't say her name, but I'm just going to... Because it came really from the heart, what she had to say about this. Personally, I find it difficult not to feel like a second-class citizen at church, sometimes when everything is so family-focused. My church, for example, has ministries for couples, families, kids, 20s group. She's in her 30s. And when people introduce themselves on stage, they start with, I'm married to, and we have this amount of children. It easily gives the impression that that's the best or the only way to live. The reason I was unhappy about this sermon that I heard um, about uh, marriage and singleness at her church is that it could be basically summarised as follows. Be happy in your current situation and make the best of it. That is true, of course. I agree with everything the sermon said, such as a relationship can never fulfil you, only Jesus can. However, I found that not to be a satisfactory answer. It suggested a simple solution to a difficult problem. The difficult question is, in my view, what, even if you make Jesus the number one in your life, and you've understood that only he can fulfill, but you still long for a husband or wife and children. How do you deal with that? Um, I just don't, I don't want you to be under any illusions. I, I may not satisfy you with the answers that I give today, but we're going to work together um, with God's help to get a bit closer to answering that question, I hope. From my own life, my friend says, and from many uh, single, mainly female friends in their 30s, I know this is a massive struggle. And I just wish churches took it more seriously. By responding, just be happy and don't complain, the church is giving the impression that it isn't really a problem. But it is. And it's one that should be acknowledged as one. I just wish that pastors, etc., said more things like, it's okay to have these desires and it's okay to be sad about it. It's still a topic I personally struggle with. Sadly, I find it gets neglected by many churches or is seldomly dealt with in a sensitive manner. So I would have loved to have heard your take on it. So <laughs> hopefully you should be able to hear the recording and... Um, come to the next conference. We're gonna, this is a series, the second one we're doing, and we're going to keep doing them, hopefully, uh, as long as the Lord permits, and you guys are interested, I'm interested. Um, we want to continue to refresh and encourage not just single people, but also married people. There's a few married people here today, because we, we're interested in the integration of singles and marriage together and how we can support one another. So the struggle is real, and we have to be real with each other today. Um, I hope nobody has to put a brave face on it. We can admit that we're finding our current situation in life rather um, not ideal, not what we would have wanted. Just to say a little bit about myself on, in that regard. Um, uh, when I was a teenager, I went out with a lot of non-Christians. Um, I realised that that was not a good idea through reading the Bible and through experience. I wrote a book about it <laughs> um, called Courting Disaster. And um, then I got married when I was 30. Um, and then my wife left me. So uh, that was only about three or four years into our marriage. And so I've been effectively uh, separated slash divorced for about nine years. So I've kind of seen um, a bit of everything, really. So I think um, hopefully I can say that I'm uh, 
shooting from the same trench as some of you guys, you know what I mean? Um, some of you will be single, some of you are divorced, some of you are married, some of you may be widowed. Um, so I just wanted to, I wanted to say that so you know that um, I'm, I'm certainly not a smug married. And actually the married, married people here, none of them are smug marrieds either as well. Um, I just want to say thank you to God for George because George over there, who's pastor of this church, he, it's his desire to bless single people and married people. And I love that about George because George is happily married, he has a, he's a child, and he could be just like, I, you know, I've got up the ladder and I, I'm, I'm on to the next bit now, so I don't have to worry about that. But he hasn't thought that way. He's continued to, if you like, uh, minister to people that are not in the same context as him. And I, I really respect that, so thank you. Please pray for George, he's lost his voice. Uh, he has laryngitis, and it's, it's really bothering him. So we, we want our brother to be back on form. George spoke at the last conference, uh, if you like, the, the, the first keynote talk. It's really, really worth listening to. Uh, Keith has the video for that, I think. Keith, thank you. So talk to Keith afterwards if you'd like to hear some of the material from the first conference. Um, I've been reading this book on spiritual warfare. And... Uh, it's called Born for Battle. And uh, there's a great bit in it. And uh, he says, it's quite an old book, really. A uh, guy, guy who was actually in the army. And he says, our fight is from victory, not for victory. Our fight is from victory, not for victory. And you don't need to turn to it, but in the very famous and beautiful passage in Romans 8, you probably know these verses. Paul says in verse 31... What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, can you finish it? Who can be against us? Yes, let's make it Pentecostal today. Fantastic. He who did not spare his own son, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? I'll say it again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? That's a really great verse for a person struggling with singleness, isn't it? If God is going to give you the best, he's going to give you everything else you need as well, right? If he, if he doesn't hold back Jesus from you, then he's not deliberately depriving you of a husband or wife just, just for laughs. All right, so if he gives you Christ, he's going to give you everything else you need as well. And then a bit later on in that passage... In verse 37, he says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. At the end of the verse, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right? So you need to live in Romans 8 (laughs) if you're going to be able to uh, navigate your singleness. Because there's so many refreshing verses of encouragement. And I, I want us all to have a sense of the reality of our victory today in Christ, that we are coming from a position, from a position of victory. We're not working towards victory. We are already victorious. We're more than victorious in Christ. There might be someone here who doesn't know Jesus. If you don't, then I would encourage you to use this time as an opportunity to get to know him because if you are dissatisfied with your singleness but you don't know Christ, then you getting married is not going to fix that. Only Christ can be the lover of our souls. But my friend that wrote those words to us is also right that sometimes we don't want to be glib about it and say, well, you've got Jesus and that should be enough. I want to get us a sense of victory today, but also a sense of hope 
that we view ourselves in terms of eternity, not in terms of time. Because a lot of the dimension of where things go wrong for us is that we always see ourselves, I think, in terms of life goals. And um, maybe we think, well, I've failed to get to this point and therefore I'm a failure altogether because I'm 30 or 40 and not married or whatever it is. And the things that I was expecting to have happened by now haven't happened. Well, you know, the Bible has a very different perspective, doesn't it? The perspective is nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, that we're living for a kingdom, a city that whose founder and maker is God, a continuing city, that, that our, our life is really hidden with Christ and yet to start. This is just the introduction, isn't it? So please don't let yourself be defined by life goals or anything um, temporary like marriage. A book by John Piper called This Momentary Marriage. Interesting title, isn't it? This Momentary Marriage. So it's, it's amazing how easy it is to allow these 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 time-fixed markers to define who we are and our, our, our sense of success or failure. And we're part of the new covenant, you know. In the Old Testament, some of the women particularly really struggle with childlessness because they, that, that having a child was all wrapped up with our identity as women of the covenant. But now we're living in a new age, a new covenant, where we have a family that we're part of, a brother and sisters in Christ. And um, we maybe have time to go on to that later, that our opportunity as believers is to have spiritual offspring you know to bring others to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that's far more permanent and wonderful than having biological children and our chance as well to have brothers and sisters and I think we've still got some way to go on that as churches that we see people that we see on Sundays and we see oh they're like my family or they're like brothers and sisters but we don't actually see them as brothers and sisters and when I look at you this afternoon I see you as my brother as my sister not like my sister, but you are my brother because we have one father and one elder brother, Lord Jesus Christ. So I really hope that we can come away from today with a difference in perspective about our eternal state, our security in Christ and the position of victory that we are coming from. So the title today is, Can I Be Content in Christ and Search for a Spouse? Is, is the fact that I'm looking for a, a spouse... Um, you know, a bad attitude because I should be happy in Jesus and that's enough. And I want to just tell you the answers. You can go home now if you want, but please stay around. I think the answer is yes, you can be content in Christ and seeking a spouse. But we're going to break it down a little bit. I've got, if you like, four relational goals for us today. Um, I haven't written on the flyer. But the first one is that we draw closer to God and that we have a sense of him as our father who unconditionally loves us more than any spouse could. And the second is that we draw closer to one another. That's why we're having social, because we want new friendships to emerge from this today. Uh, because the conference we had in November was great, it was a lot of content, but there wasn't a lot of time to interact with each other. So I really hope that you can, you know, make some new friends today. Make some new brothers, some new sisters in Christ. And, um, you know, that would be something that will endure, you know, we have to stay in contact with a few people. That would be great. Um, because part of the solution to the problem of loneliness is not just marriage, but Christian friendship, right? We're going to have another conference about that, hopefully. And the third thing is that we'll have the relational goals. God is our father, brothers and sisters. But the third goal that I have really today is that we will be more integrated within ourselves and more accepting of our state that we find ourselves in and that we'll have a sense of peace and not quite so much restlessness and misery, I suppose. And that's, that's hard, that one. Uh, and the fourth goal is... That possibly, uh, 
yeah, you might meet your future spouse. I'm going to say it, you know. Why not? It might happen. It might not, though. And I'll put it as number four deliberately. So if your number four, if my number four is your number one, then I'm going to suggest that you reorder it a little bit, okay? Is that okay? So God, each other, ourselves, and, you know, maybe <laughs> somebody else, somebody special. But it's not the be-all and end-all. Okay, so let's get into our Bible passage. Thank you for that. Let me have that intro. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 7, so please turn to that. 1 Corinthians 7. Um, I'll be using the NIV, um, but hopefully the ESV will be uh, similar. And uh, you can use your phones if you, if you like to follow the NIV as well. So, um, just because of time, um, I think I will read um, the passages that particularly pertain to the singles, okay? But I am going to be covering um, an overview of this, this chapter, okay? So, we'll, we'll kick off... Um, from verse 8, okay? 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8. I'll just read a few, few verses for you guys. Verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And then we'll go down to verse 17. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. And then verse 24. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. If you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Listen to this. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, that's not an excuse to forget Valentine's Day or your anniversary. Married men. Those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. Listen to this. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this is the key verse in the chapter, I think. Verse 35. I'm saying this for your good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. So verse 35, that, that's where I really want to keep, that's the centre of gravity, I think, in this chapter. 
That's the verse that gives me the joy in this chapter. It's a quite a difficult chapter. And in the past, I used to not like reading it. I was like, oh, it's a really annoying chapter. I don't like it. But now I really love it. And verse 35 is the heart of it, I think. So I say it again. It's on the, on the handouts as well. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Are you interested in living in the right way in undivided devotion to the Lord? Yes. Amen. If you're not interested in living in the right way with undivided devotion to the Lord, you've probably come to the wrong place. But stick around and maybe you'll change your thinking about it, right? Because Jesus has lived in a right way with undivided devotion to you, hasn't he? He laid down his life for you, didn't he? So let's live in terms of gratitude and live in a right way with undivided devotion to the Lord. And let him organise the furniture of our lives for us. You know, Adam went to sleep and God provided him with a wife while he was asleep, you know? first poem written in the Bible. Whoa, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is great. He didn't do that much though, you know, God arranged the marriage. So if you're interested in living in a right way with undivided devotion to the Lord, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things should be added to you. You can chill out a little bit whilst at the same time still being allowed to be a bit sad sometimes. I want to give you permission to do that. You're okay to feel like, yeah, but I want to be married. You know, you, you, I think you can feel that way. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's tough. And it's okay to feel that and to say that. And no one should ever dismiss your pain. I'm not definitely not dismissing your pain. I, I would say that I live in pain every day. I, just, I would feel, even though I have Jesus, even though I know where I'm going, I know who I am, I'm deeply, deeply loved. I'm a child of the King. I am also an emotional amputee. And um, that is a scar, and I'm, I'm kind of going through life like that, and I will do. And that's not always easy, and you might feel that way too. So the general rule in this passage of 1 Corinthians 7 is stay as you are, bloom where you're planted, and stick to your post. That's the general rule. Like Paul says it many times, I think seven or eight times he says in this passage, remain as you are. Okay, so if you think about the world, people are always trying to change their circumstances. They're always trying to get a better job, better house, better spouse. You know, um, I'm always trying to fix up the stuff around me. If only I won the lottery. And they don't really understand about the fact that the real project of life is the change of character, isn't it? And becoming like Christ. Not about changing your circumstance. So you might think, if only I was married, then my life can begin but reality is God's not interested in that he's interested in conforming you to become like his son Jesus who was a virgin when he died so the general thing is not to constantly change the circumstance and think I'm unhappy because I don't have this and this life goal and I haven't visited this location and whatever and I need to go to a different church where they have better music or whatever it is you know. but to learn the secret of contentment in Christ so I've got four questions I'm probably going to go past quarter past, Andrew, I'm sorry, but I'll try not to go too much past that. Four questions. Should I get married? The first question. If I am married, should I stay married? I think that's kind of an obvious one, right? So I might go quite quickly with that one. Um, should I change my social situation, which I'm not really going to go into because it's not directly germane to what we're talking about today. That's why it's in smaller type. And if a brother or sister in Christ and I get in close, should we marry? All right? If I kind of go a little fast in certain areas, there will be opportunity to ask questions later. And hopefully, I really want to maximise the amount of discussion we have between ourselves. 
I'm really hoping we can have kind of great groups of about eight or nine people so everyone has a chance to speak, to share. I'd encourage you to pray in your group as well before you start the discussions. And, and really kind of share from the heart, be brave, you know, admit to your circumstances if you'd like to. But equally, don't feel obliged to speak if you don't want to. So first question, should I get married? And this is looking at verses um, 1 to 9 in 1 Corinthians 7. And there's quite a debate about this. And I've put so much in this handout. The, the printout is not ideal. So if you'd like me to email you it, and you can print out a nicer copy and read it at your leisure, I'm happy to do that. My email's at the bottom, okay? Or my, and my phone as well. So I'm happy to do that. Because um, I've put a lot of thought into the geeky stuff, like the footnotes and all that thing. And if you're interested in discovering more on the subject, there's a lot of resources. Whilst I'm thinking of it, I really... If you could just turn to the resources for a second. That's um, kind of on the fourth page. I just want to recommend um, two books to you, which I personally think are essential reading. Um, others, when they're on the panel, they might want to recommend different books. But the first book is this one, God, Singleness and Marriage by Ben Crazy. I mean, I don't know how you say his name, but it's like Ben Crazy. But he's not at all crazy, he's brilliant. Okay. And the other one is by Marshall Siegel called Not Yet Married. Um, George told me you can get that free online. So we like free books, do we not? That you can get from the Desiring God website, you know John Piper. So I'm sorry I didn't put the link there for that, but just Google it and you'll get, just type in free, not yet married. So both those books are great. Okay, we give you free stuff at this conference. Come to the next one, bring a friend. And I really want to encourage you to uh, listen to the Tim Keller sermon. It is... Um, of course it is, it's Tim Keller, but oh my goodness, it's so good. So if you're disappointed with my talk today, then listen to that <laughs> and you won't be disappointed. And also please watch the video, um, which is called Real Conversation on Singleness. I haven't put it in bold, but I should have done. It's about, it's about two hours. It's, it's a panel um, and it is absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm so upset by the fact that it's got about 6,000 views, which is really bad on YouTube. Like, there's videos of cats, like, jumping through things that have got 12 billion views or whatever. And this is really excellent because you've got someone in every category in this video. It's like someone with same-sex attraction, someone who has been divorced twice and was going to kill himself. Um, you've, got, you've got women in their late 30s who's never been married. You've got a guy who's had a prolific sexual history and it's really affected the scar of him. Uh, it's just amazing, this, that particular video. So there's just a few resources I wanted to point out for you um, to carry on thinking these issues through beyond today. Anyway, slight digression. Should I get married? There's quite a debate about this subject. And Paul says in verse 1, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And if you notice in your Bibles, welcome sister, in your Bibles, in a lot of Bibles, it's uh, in quotations. Because the Corinthian church, as you probably know, were kind of a bunch of mad people, really. <laughs> they were taking each other to court. A guy was having sex with his mother and uh, stepmother. Okay? They were... Some of them were... 
I've, in a diagram I've done at the back, you don't need to turn to it, but they were, they were kind of falling into one of two ditches. They were either becoming libertines, right? So they were saying, uh, if you know anything about Gnosticism, that whatever I do with my body, it doesn't really matter because my soul is the real me, right? So if I, if I kind of sleep around with prostitutes and stuff, it doesn't really matter because the real me on a Sunday is with Jesus, but my body is just my body during the week, right? So it's Saturday night and Sunday morning are completely separate. And Paul was like, are you, are you mad? Are you dizzy? <laughs> Because if you join yourself with someone and become one flesh, there's a sort of spiritual transaction going on there. You know, you're becoming uh, united in spirit and taking that which is Christ and uniting to a prostitute. That's chapter 6. But then the, the opposite error that they were making probably was falling in the other ditch, which is asceticism. It's, so it's half of them were kind of libertines and, you know, hey, do what you want on Saturday night because the spirit that we're all using Sunday morning. But the other half were ascetics. In other words, they felt that they should abstain from sex altogether, even if they were married. Some of you guys would be thinking, that, that's crazy. You know? well, I'm gonna put, if I'm going to put a lot of effort into getting married, then <laughs> I expect the sex to be there. But they were, they were, some of them were married and they weren't having sex anymore. And if you know about the Hare Krishnas, um, within the Hare Krishna movement, uh, if you're really devoted, you don't have sex, even if you're married. So this idea that kind of sex is, is either irrelevant or dirty, and it's going to either, it's either it doesn't matter what I do or it's really going to pollute me. And neither of those things are right, are they? You understand? So in this passage, Paul's saying, I'm not going to go to much detail about it because it's mainly for married people. You say, guys, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Mm. Because there's a lot of sexual immorality, you guys need to stay with your wives and um, you know, get it on. <laughs> On a regular basis, the Bible is very pro-sex within marriage, right? Sometimes people say, you Christians are very squeamish about sex. But actually, no, God invented sex, right? As a relation, relational glue. It's to, sex is designed, isn't it, to strengthen the covenant. You can't share your body with someone without sharing your soul and legally and your money and everything else. It's all about two becoming one. So if you're having non-covenantal sex, that's a huge mistake. But if you're, covenant, if you're in covenant with someone and you're not having sex with them, that's also a huge mistake. So Paul basically says in verse 5, the only reason why a married couple should stop having sex is if they're going to have a particular time of prayer. And then you better get back into it, guys. All right, so maybe you have a couple of days off a year if you really have to. But Paul's like, basically, you don't have to do the praying thing. You could just, just make sure you do the sex. Yeah? Excuse me, I have a tendency to be quite explicit, so I don't want to embarrass anybody. <laughs> this is the Bible, though, right? So he says, verse 5, Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent at a time, so you may devote yourself to prayer, then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of lack of self-control. So that's, that's Paul's message to married people. But then he says something interesting in verse 7. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am. Paul was single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And one of the issues that we were debating in the last conference, and we talk about it quite a lot, is, is the gift of single, what is the gift of singleness? Is the gift of singleness the state of being single? So if you're single, some people would say, you have the gift of singleness. Or is the gift of singleness a, a particular God-given ability to be continent and that has nothing to do with Europe and Asia and stuff. Continence is an um, old-fashioned word, really, meaning kind of sexual self-control, that you're not kind of burning up all the time. You're not kind of going crazy with it. But you can keep it together, basically. You can function. 
I personally think it's the second. So I don't think just because you're single, you necessarily have a divine gift of self-control and continence. Otherwise, Paul's uh, verse in verse 2, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And also, especially verse 9, if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. It's better to marry than burn with passion. They make no sense. Verse 9 makes no sense if everyone who is single has the gift of singleness. So there'll be some people here who are single and are kind of, okay, it's not easy, but I can deal with it. And other people here are single and it's really doing your head in. And it's not an ideal state for you and you have to have a, develop a lot of patience and so on. So the three categories here, A, B, C, is should I get married? Yes, it's good if you want to get married. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. Let each man have his wife. But if you can, if you have the gift, like Paul says, I wish that all of you were as I am, verse 7 and verse 8, it's good for you to stay unmarried as I do. But the worst possible situation is really to be single but without that gift. And he's saying people who, who are kind of in the state of singleness, but it's really, really very difficult, you should prayerfully consider marriage. Now, I know that a lot of people will be like, that's just the problem. <laughs> I, you know, I've been struggling with this for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and I don't think I have the gift of singleness and yet I am single. And I, I hear your frustration. And sometimes I feel your frustration. Wait upon the Lord. Ask him to give you that gift. Ask him to give you that patience. Maybe you are a round peg in a square hole. Maybe that is part of taking up your cross. Is being in a non-ideal state for you for the moment. And this is, this is a real lesson for all of us. We have to learn to trust God. You think of what God puts people through. Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice him. You know, Job, I'm going to take away all your kids and all your stuff, and your wife's going to tell you to curse God and die. And these are the people that God loves. So sometimes you might have to be a round peg in a square hole for a little while, but it doesn't mean to say you can't cry out to God and say, God, this singleness thing, man, is doing my head in. I really need you to fix up my situation and just give me patience till then. I think that's an okay prayer. So some people are suited to marriage and some people, it's fine. They can take it or leave it. And if you can take it or leave it, leave it. That's what Paul's saying throughout this passage. He's saying really the advantages of being, married, uh, being unmarried are significant. If you look at that little table that I've done, it says B, being single with the gift, is recommended for some because it's simpler. But when you're single, your life is a lot less complex. And you have more freedom and you have more time. And if the married people know that's true. The grass is always greener on the other side. So one of my friends who got married a couple of years ago, he's like, make sure you tell them, right, marriage is not easy. And, and you, know, um, you, you know, you don't have time, you lose your independence, and you've got to be content in Christ before you get married because marriage is not going to fix that. You know. <laughs> And we go, oh, I really want to be married, you don't understand. And then the married people are like, oh man, I miss being single. You know? <laughs> so if you've got to just do some soul searching today and say, you know what, Lord, I don't know actually. I'm not actually sure, you know, like I've made it this far. Maybe I can just keep going. Or maybe you need to say, you know what, this is, this is really tearing me apart and God, you've got to help me. And you can find someone you trust and pray with them about that. So that's question one. Should I get married? Yes, it depends on whether you think you have that gift or not. If you have the gift of being able to control yourself, then Paul's saying, I recommend for you to stay single. It's advantageous. It's preferential. Secondly, if I'm married, should I stay married? 
Yes. Okay, moving on to the next bit. <laughs> um, most people here are single, I'm guessing, so we won't dwell on it, but essentially divorce is very cheap in this country. I don't know if you've seen recently in the news, they've just, uh, they're creating no-fault divorce in England for the first time. Just, I think, I know why they're doing it, but it's tragic. Because now you basically just have to have a six-month cooling-off period. You say, I, I, I want to leave you, and that's it, and there's nothing you can do about it, and I don't have to give a reason, and six months later you're divorced. I think that says a lot about our culture's understanding of covenant. So if you do end up getting married, please don't get divorced. My, my main interest in ministry is actually with divorced people. I am a divorcee, and I spend a lot of time with divorced Christians that have been left by their Christian spouse. That's my main area of interest. I set up, we set up a group called PROM, um, which uh, one person here is part of as well, praying for the redemption of our marriages. And you would not believe the amount of Christians that are being abandoned by their Christian spouses. That should never be. I mean, that's so unthinkable to Paul that in verse um, uh, 12... Well, verse 15, it says, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. There's no concept of a believer leaving a believer. It's just not there in the Bible. It's only an unbeliever will do that. Now, I, don't, I want to be careful, obviously, if you're married to someone who says they're a Christian and they're cheating on you continually and beating you up and all this kind of stuff, then I'm not saying that divorce is um, perhaps a lesser evil in that situation. But I'm saying, generally speaking, we keep our covenants, don't we? And when we say for better, for worse, yeah, we don't... I swear people have their fingers crossed behind their back when they say that. Andrew's saying, hurry up, and I will hurry up. Let me go to question four, because that's the kind of key question, I suppose, in the passage. Looking down at verse 25... Um, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. And what Paul does there, and I wish I had more time, but I should try and wrap myself up, is he goes through the challenges of being married, and he says, if you look at your handout, this is question four, that if you're married, you're going to have troubles in this life, you're going to be in danger of being defined by the world and your interests are going to be divided. And you might be thinking, I want those kind of troubles. <laughs> I'm happy with the troubles, right? Because I want the joys of it as well. You know, it's a trade-off that I'm willing to take because you know, I want to have the companionship, the sex, the children, the, 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 the being able to go on holiday into the cinema with someone and for someone to actually be interested in how my day went. And I will, I will take all the troubles because I want that package. But Paul's like, I really want to tell you you're going to have troubles. And I would spare you this. He's trying to encourage people to realise that marriage is hard. It's challenging because you've got two sinners rubbing up against each other. And um, it's not easy. Because your kingdom is colliding with their kingdom. You read a book called uh, What Did You Expect? It's one of the best books on marriage by Paul Tripp. And he says, what happens when you marry someone is you say, my kingdom come. And they say, my kingdom come. And you should both be saying, God's, God's kingdom come, right? So you say, no, 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 you've got to sort out this and your appearance. And, you know, I, I pretended to like your haircut when we were going out, but you've got to change that now. And, you know, and really, you know, you should sort out your 
body odor problem or whatever it is and you know we try and change each other and it's not easy being married because your interests are divided and it's very easy to become defined by being married and running a house and looking after kids and that becomes all consuming and some of you will know this because you've had friends who've got married and you hardly see them um, and that's quite sad and actually their involvement in the body of Christ is diminished because of all of their sort of family concerns whereas single people have that liberty to be at the prayer meeting who can come to the midweek meetings and they don't have to take turns and they can be fully involved in the work of the undivided devotion to the work of the Lord so I really do want you to realise the advantages of being single while you have it and to enjoy it and not assume that the grass is green on the other side because it might not be it might not be. You might, you might be less happy if you get married. Can you believe that? Your brain's going, no, 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 no. No, I will be more happy. You know? but, I mean, Paul says it. Look at verse um, 40, the last verse in the passage, when he's talking about whether widows should remarry. He says, you can if you want to, but in my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is. You think, surely if you lose your spouse, you need to find another one, right? No, Paul's like, no, you're better off if you stay. Now, if you're single and you have this gift, you have this ability to keep it together, you can live through this present crisis. We're living in the last days. Times are getting hard for Christians, even in the West. There's a lot of things that are happening that are slightly disturbing. Like, if you put something on social media and people don't like it, you might lose your job. You might, at some point, lose your liberty. Do you really want to have a wife or husband and children and be in that situation you know when you're single you can afford to be brave and bold about these things because you don't have to worry about the impact it's going to have so you can live through this present crisis and you can focus on God's affairs can you be distracted as a single person easily distracted that's what social media is for I think John Piper said Facebook is um, exists so that whenever any of us get to heaven we can never say to God I didn't have enough time to pray (laughs) So it's really easy to be distracted when you're single by Netflix and Facebook and all that nonsense and anything else in your life as well. But being married, it just adds that extra layer of complexity to your life. Um, So, let me get to the end. Can I be content in Christ and still seeking? And the answer is yes, you can. And yes, but. You can and you must be content in Christ please do not try to get married if you don't have that contentment in Christ. You could say it's a chicken and egg situation because if I was totally content in Christ, I wouldn't need to get married. But what what this is talking about, I think, is being in Christ first and foremost. So if you look in verse 22, he says, For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. First and foremost, you belong to Jesus. I am my beloved's and he is mine. You know what I mean? That's your identity, right? And you've got to get that. If you don't get that, you're not in a fit state to get married. And will you be content not to get too angry and grumpy with God that he hasn't given you what you want? Will you work on that? Like Paul says, I've learned this secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know what it is to have and to not have. And I can say that. 
I can truly say that I know what it is to be single, I know what it is to be married, I know what it is to be divorced, and I'm content in Christ. It's true. I am. Do I struggle? Yes. Am I unhappy sometimes? Definitely. But I trust him. And I hope you can do that as well. And I'm, I'm learning to trust him, let me put it that way. I'm definitely not the finished article. I just want to encourage you that it's possible. And then the second part of that question is, can I, still, can I be content in Christ and seeking? I would say the Bible's saying clearly here, yes, you may seek a spouse, but stay as you are. Are you taking the general rule to heart that the de- default situation is better to stay as you are? And then final question, and I just want to just see whether we could take a minute after I finish talking to meditate on these questions a little bit and see whether you could answer them for yourself personally. Especially this last question, will you be more devoted to God as married or single? And you go, married, definitely married. I pick married. Married is more devoted to married, you know. But just hold on, hold on. Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Do you know married people? <laughs> Are you close to married Christians? Are you observing their lives? You know, fairly, like I don't mean critically, but just do you see them as, in every case, every married Christian I know is spiritually thriving because they're married? Or would you say that some of them are struggling? Do you see what I'm getting at? Be, be honest in your evaluation of yourself and say, will I be able to live in a right way with undivided devotion to the Lord more if I'm married? And you, you, have, you have to really think that through and not just automatically say, of course it would be better if I was married. Because it might not be. So I'm just going to pray. Thank you. Sorry, Andrew, I've gone over a bit. Um, and then we're going to uh, just spend a minute, if you like, um, looking, thinking about those questions and um, then we'll go into our groups and we'll be able to discuss some of the applications, some of the more practical points about how we could put this into practice. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the lover of our souls. Thank you, Lord, that our destiny is secure in you, that we are all engaged to be married because we've been invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord, that in general we can stay as we are And we can be content in that. Lord, I just pray for those of us who are here this afternoon who are struggling with our state. And we're saying, you know what? Yes, I love Jesus. And yeah, I hear what you're saying. But I really want to get married. And I pray for for brothers and sisters who who are in that category that, Lord, you'll give them even deeper contentment in you. But also that you will help them to know how to navigate that scenario, Lord. And to give them patience. And to give them hope. And the hope, not in hope in marriage, but the hope in your providence and your timing. Lord, where we've sinned, I pray you forgive us. Where we're filled with regrets, I pray that you'll remind us that the future is always going to be better than the past. Lord, where we're grieving, I pray, Lord Jesus, you'll heal us. And I pray that today you will really bless us, Lord, that we will have helpful interactions Lord and that your name will be lifted up Lord and that everyone will walk out of here living in a right way with undivided devotion to the Lord whether we're single, whether we're married whatever state we find ourselves in in Jesus name, Amen